Hi there, I'm Pastor Billy. There are a lot of ways to engage with us, but I wanted to take a moment today to thank you for listening here on the Harrisonburg Nazarene Church Podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. For more about the church, please check out our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. You can also catch us live on Facebook each Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Not sure how to describe this other than to say what I'm going to say. It was uh, about this time of year in 1998 that I thought I was dying. And the reason I hesitate to say that is because it sounds so melodramatic, but that's what it felt like. That's all I can tell you. It felt like that I was, I was going to die. Uh, my heart would race, and it wasn't just racing, it was pounding in my chest. It was like I, 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 it felt like it was piercing my skin that you could see my heart beating and cold, awful sweats and nausea and sobbing. It had overtaken me in such a way that I couldn't even drive. It felt like I was dying. And what had happened for me was at this time, this point of the year, 1998, a lifetime of fear and worry and anxiety exploded in my heart. Um, I didn't know it then. I'd never even heard of a panic attack before that happened. It was gruesome. And I remember, I wasn't suicidal. I don't think I was, but I remember saying, I I can't go on like this. I couldn't go on like this. And I you know, at one point of real desperation, I'm, I'm sure from Pam's perspective, she walked with me through this. This was one of the most, that's probably the most desperate she's ever seen me. At some point, I said, I've got to get some help. And I did. I found a wonderful Christian counselor who's a friend, um, and she began to walk me through what I had to unpack. It was such that I had, you know, I, some of you know my story, I wasn't raised a Christian. I became a Christian in, in 1998. I'd been a Christian for many years. But I had learned to just live with fear, so much so that I didn't even recognize it. It was normal for me to live with fear, worry, and anxiety. It was just how I lived, so I didn't even see it as being something unusual. Uh, but then I learned what had happened. In me, it was, it was doubt. It was wanting to control everything. It was uh, not being sure about the future, but it, I packed it down, I packed it down, I packed it down, and then it exploded. And from that point forward, fear has been different for me. I haven't felt, fear is kind of my private enemy number one. That's one reason I'm really glad that we're doing this, attacking it, addressing it. Uh, Pastor Adrian was talking about the Wednesday night workshops. I was at the Wednesday night I'll be at all the Wednesday night workshops, but um, I was sitting there and I was processing sort of my history of here. Adrian is teaching and I was paying attention generally to his, but I was looking around the room. Uh, As he said, the student minister's room was crowded and I was was thinking about the faces in that room. And it was really encouraging for me to think, you know, there are people in this room who know what that feels like. There are people here who've experienced the kind of fear that I've experienced. And it was really freeing for me, 
really encouraging to sort of be in this room with these warriors. So today my assignment uh, is in two parts. Uh, this is part two of our Afraid Not series, four parts. Uh, we skip next week for the um, youth retreat, uh, the four parts. This is part two. And this message is in two parts. The first part is a look at fear, uh, sort of an analysis of fear, worry, and anxiety with a focus on here. And then secondly, the Lord's response to your pursuit of fear. What's his response? So let's take a look. We know this. I'm not going to give you any news. We are in an unprecedented era of fear, worry, and anxiety. And we're not talking about uh, we're not talking about a healthy fear that God gives you to keep you safe. We're not talking about fear that's acute related to chemistry or physiological issues. We're talking about the spirit of tormenting fear. And from the article on the lower right, as godless a publication as the New York Times can see it, anxiety is coursing through American society. It has become its own destructive national character. Worry alters the atmosphere of the mind. It shrinks your awareness of the present and your ability to enjoy what's around you right now. It cycles possible bad futures around in your head and forces you to live in dreadful future scenarios, 90% of which will never come true. Pretty soon you're seeing the world through a dirty windshield. Worry dims every sunrise and multiplies all mistrust. That's pretty accurate. But that's the nation. What about us? More specifically, more importantly, what about you? Uh, last week's message from Pastor Adrian, who's wonderful, was critically important, I think. If you haven't seen it, please get the recording. He said some really fundamental, God-born things about how we're to face fear, but I wanted to show you this brief clip. I wonder what could happen in our lives, what could happen in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, if we allowed God to help us overcome fear. This is what I believe. I believe fear, I believe fear is the number one barrier that keeps us from experiencing God's best for our life. If you might be here today and you're skeptical and you don't even like, God's not, this is not your thing, religion's not your thing, but I believe even you, if given the choice between God's best and kind of God's worst or God's, I think you choose God's best. I think we all want God's best for our lives, right? And I really believe that fear is the number, it's not the only thing, but I believe it's the number one thing that keeps us from experiencing God's best. The number one barrier, I agree. I've often said it's the enemy's only real weapon, fear. So what is your fear? The Bible, as we learned last week, calls it a spirit of fear. What's yours? What are you afraid of? Illness, dying, suffering, bankruptcy, being found out, being discovered. Um, somebody this week I was talking to about it, somebody doesn't go to church is talking about this message, and they said, I'm way more afraid of Alzheimer's disease than I am of dying. I can see that. Afraid of losing control, afraid you're not enough. Pastor John put a question up on Instagram, which I didn't see, but he showed it to me. And he asked the question, what are you afraid of? And he was scrolling through the responses, and one of them really struck me. Someone wrote, 
I'm afraid of becoming the nobody my family already thinks I am. Really, but the grandfather of all fear, the big daddy of fear, is the idea that you can't trust God. That really drives, it is the engine for all your worries, all your anxieties, all the things that keep you up at night. Somehow, someway, God can't be trusted. Other people can trust him. You can't. I wanted to dig deeper and learn more about us and how we approach fear and how we approach this series. So I did um, a survey. I asked people some questions about the Afraid Not series. These were pastors, staff members, life group leaders, uh, ministry leaders, others. To ask them some questions about the sort of get the temperature of the church on the issue of fear. And I think I struck a nerve because I invited 50 people to participate. I sent the link. It was an online survey. I invited 50 people. And if you do survey work, you know that if you get half, you know, if you get half response to a survey, that's fantastic. So I've been thrilled. 50 people. I got 62 responses. (laughs) Now, math is not my strong suit. But I know that 62 is more than 50. What happened was, not only did the people I invite feel strongly about responding, but they invited other people, sent them the link. It was an online survey. So I want to walk you through it. Remember, this is part one. This is the state of fear. And so I asked that question, which describes you? So I don't experience fear, worry, or anxiety. I experience some fear, worry, or anxiety. I experience moderate levels of fear, worry, or anxiety. I experience significant levels of fear, worry, or anxiety. Now remember, we're talking now about your fear, worry, and anxiety. This message is really not about fear, worry, and anxiety in a generic sense, but about how you deal with it and what God wants to do in your life. Part one analysis of fear, worry, anxiety. Part two, what God wants to do and what he's saying about yours. So I wonder where, first of all, where you would be on this spectrum, and I wonder what you think the results were. I'm going to show you. I'm looking at the bottom two. That's just under 65% of the survey respondents said that their fear, worry, or anxiety was either moderate or significant. 65%. And 99.98% said fear affects them on some level. It's really interesting. Then I asked about what they think causes it. So I took scriptural studies, uh, did some research in Christian counseling, reasons we fear. And I gave them 11 choices. The top five are up there. Uh, The person doesn't spend sufficient time studying God's Word. The person doesn't spend sufficient time in prayer. The person is influenced by wounds or hurts from their past. The person focuses too much on their life circumstances. And the person is influenced by sin. I wonder what you think the most prevalent of those was. I'm going to show you. Number one, wounds or hurts from their past. You know, I have an idea of where my fears came from. I wonder what you think is the root of yours. Is it your past? Is it the way you live? Are you, do you hinge everything on your circumstances and judge your life by what's happening? I don't know. That's why it's about you. A lot of important things said in response to the survey. I want to share some 
with you. I've learned that my intense fear comes from caring too much about what people think of me. It's hard to get past that. Now, I'm putting that first because that was my biggest surprise in the survey. I'm going over the data. Survey closes. I get my 62 responses. I'm going through all the spreadsheets. Most of it I was expecting. 65% was high, but not, didn't blow me away. The biggest surprise was how often people mentioned how they worry about how people treat them, feel about them, care about them. How much we care about what people think about us and how much it contributes to our worry, fear, anxiety. That was my biggest surprise. The second one, I've struggled with a significant amount of fear and anxiety in my life, but didn't identify as such until about three years ago. After identifying that, I've been better able to process those feelings, and I've struggled far less. The third one, I worry most about work, but I also worry about my home and finances. These are largely unnecessary and exaggerated concerns, but persistent nonetheless in my worries for a long time. Now, the survey was anonymous, so I don't know who said what, but I love unnecessary and exaggerated. Have two better words ever been spoken about our entertainment of fear, worry, or anxiety? unnecessary and exaggerated. I get anxious during conflict and when people don't like me. I saw that over and over again. Fear, worry, and anxiety are something I encounter on an almost daily basis. I have for years. I'm working alongside my family and trusted friends and celebrate recovery to counter this with the truth, love, and peace that only flow from Jesus. Amen. I often deal with fear below the surface. I'm not even aware that it's fear I'm battling when I'm seeking approval there it is again. But I'm actually wrestling with a fear of rejection. Stepping out in obedience is so hard because of a fear of failure. Looking for others in my life to validate me because I have fear of being alone. And last two, a lot of, there's a lot of very helpful content in the survey uh, that can help people. These two stood out to me. I think sometimes adults forget what a fearful place school is. Yeah, I think sometimes we do. If I were honest, I would say seventh grade was probably the most fearful year of my life until 1998. We don't think about it because it's in our past, but for some it's not. It's in there now. Then the last one, the phrase sick with worry describes me perfectly. The really sad thing is that I've been in the darkness for several years and this is the first time I've ever said anything to anybody about it. Now, this is good news. I'll tell you why. No more can anyone, including the enemy, tell you that you are alone in your fear, worry, and anxiety. It's a lie you're told all the time. You look around the congregation, beautiful people, their lives are completely put together. They don't fear, you do. They trust God, you don't. Well, I have numbers now to back up that you are not alone in your fear and worry. We are in this together, quite literally. The second thing is you're part of a church that is willing to fight this. That's what Pastor Adrian said. I want to start 2020 by doing some damage to the enemy's turf as applies to fear in our church's life. Our people are too important for it, and our future is too important for it.
for it. Even in the children's ministry, they're talking about this today. They're following right along with the curriculum of Afraid Not up in kids' church. That's part one. Now let's look at what your father says about your fear. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, 14 specifically. Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God... Now, I don't know if that describes you. I don't know you, most of you. But I do know that everything that follows is qualified by that statement. It is true, the statements coming are true for those who are led by the Spirit of God. So that's a question uh, for you. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Here's the problem. That's one of those phrases that should impact us. To read that we can be children of God should startle us in the most wonderful way. The problem is we've heard it too much. It's worn out. You say, what? But don't do that. You know what it's like to be able to call yourself the child of the king of the universe? Well, that's the promise. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Here's freedom from fear. If you are in Christ, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. You were adopted, chosen, grafted in. Use your own term. You brought nothing to the relationship. You didn't and couldn't earn it. You're in by His pure grace and kindness. And isn't it interesting that of all the benefits of being a child of God... And there are infinite benefits of being a child of God. The one, the one that Paul chooses to emphasize is freedom from fear. The one. Lots of them he could have listed. Freedom from fear. That's the old way. You don't have to be a slave again to fear. See, we sometimes have it confused. Faith is the natural state of a child of God. Fear takes work and struggle. We think it's the opposite. We think fear is the natural state and faith takes work and struggle. Not if you're a child of God. You know um, our daughter Aubrey, she was up here, wonderful, wonderful girl. She's as great as you think she is, beautiful. But she wasn't always easy to get along with. When she was a toddler, she had a superpower, I think, that eventually ebbed and she became a regular human. But she could get out of your arms. You know, I'd be holding her and it's just so wonderful. Just holding her and she's there comfortable and we're just snuggling and holding her and the smell of baby shampoo and Cheerios and it's just a, I so miss that smell. By the way, those of you who still get the smell, live in the smell now. But when she wanted down, it was like the strength of 10 men. She would 
lock her body up in some unnatural state and somehow lower her center of gravity so that she began, no matter what I did, she began to slide down. And she was especially sensitive if you only had one hand free already, that's when she struck. And so her, you know, her whatever they were, the pull-up started to twist and her little kitty shirt was up around her neck and her pants started to fall down and then my pants started to fall down. And that was the deal breaker. I'm sorry, I, I release. When the pants start to go, that's when you can, you've broken me. What's interesting is, I mean, the natural state is let your father hold you. We struggle all the time. We develop skills in escaping where we're safest. That's the ugliness, I almost said beauty of fear, it's the ugliness of fear. Let me share another quote with the survey. The survey had so many good, uh, I'm going to, I originally wasn't going to incorporate it here, but uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put together a handout with key scriptures and then some wisdom from the survey, and I'll probably have that ready for the January 29th the Wednesday um, workshop on the 29th. That's, um, the 29th is the panel, the expert panel, so I think I'll have it ready for that. One person wrote, I think the root, whether we realize it or not, is the depth of and our investment in our relationship with our Father. When our focus is off of Him and onto our sin, our past experiences, our social media, another person, such as a spouse or children, or any other thing, the shift of our focus creates cracks for fear, worry, and anxiety to seep in. I'm not saying that being a Christian leaves no cracks. I'm saying that this is a daily, minute-by-minute work to keep our focus where it belongs, only God. Amen. There's one thing more in that Romans text, one thing intriguing in that Romans text. Where did Paul get this whole idea of crying, Abba, Father? That's at the end of the Romans text. Just read it. Well, Abba Father is kind of a twist on an Aramaic term. Paul didn't speak Aramaic. Where'd that come from? That he just tacks that in at the end, that because we're children of God, we can cry, Abba Father. Well, you know where he got it. He got it from Jesus' darkest moment. Remember that? Garden of Gethsemane, on his way to suffer and die for me. He said, praying to the Lord, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He wanted his friends to pray for him. They're sleeping. He's praying. He's falling on his face. He went a little further and fell down. And then he cried out, Abba, Father, if it's possible, if it's possible that I don't have to go through this, and then no, no, not my will, but yours. Abba, Father. You know what Jesus did in his most difficult moment? He acted like a son. Abba, Father. And that's not just, that's not just an entreaty. It's not just a plea. It's not just something you have the right to say as a child of God. It's a declaration. When you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, help! You're not just asking for help. You're making a statement in worlds you can't see about whose you are and by extension, whose you're not. 
That's why Paul includes it. It's not a throw-in. It is a critical practice of fighting fear. I am a child of God himself. I think that may have been what was running in the back of John's mind. Turn, if you would, to 1 John 4, 16. And the text, as always, are in the version event. 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. What? 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 We we have this, this train of thought. God is love. He acts as love. We're to love. We're to model Jesus. That makes sense to us. And then all of a sudden, there is no fear in love. Do you have any idea how hard your Bible is working so that you won't be afraid? Hundreds of times, that's not hyperbole, hundreds of times it says, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, do not fear, fear not, be strong. Hundreds of times. It's the most common entreaty from Jesus, the most common exhortation, don't be afraid. And here it is again. Of all the benefits of love, John picks this one. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love is kind of the bouncer of your soul because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. But you can say the one who is made perfect in love is fearless. Maybe fear isn't an anxiety issue. Maybe my fear isn't a problem of my trust. It's a problem of understanding love. And that caused me to think, how does God feel about my worry? It's fair to ask. I realize God is not a man. I know he's eternal and majestic and beyond exploration, but there are plenty of times in the Bible where emotions are attributed to God so that we can understand Him. So it's a fair question. How does God feel when I worry, when I focus on what's not going to happen, when I think about taking control because I can't trust Him? And that took me back to a few years ago. Uh, Both our two girls, Aubrey and Suzanne, they both attended the same university far away in a far-off distant land. You probably haven't heard of it. It's Kentucky. And they both are close enough in age that they were there at the same time for a time. And the first time we were leaving them both off at the same time. We had gone to Kentucky. They were both going to stay. We said our goodbyes. Pam and I went back to the hotel um, because we were going to leave the next morning. And I was overcome. I couldn't collect myself, crying and crying and sobbing. And, you know, Pam is a rock, as I've made the case many times, and so she's a normal Christian, 
And she said, I, why do you think this is so hard on you? I said, it wasn't fear. It was this. It was, I just want to make sure they know how much I love them. It was as simple as that. And in my growing up, you know, when people left, they never came back. And even the ones who stayed, you didn't want them around. And so in my little mind, that all clicked and it poured out. I just want them to know. And Pam's response is, but we, this is what we raised them for, to bring them to this point. They were always God's daughters in the first place. This is the next stage in their destiny for him in his life. And this is our role in it. And we're going to go home and have a wonderful, I might clean the kitchen, but we're going to have a wonderful time. No, I disagree. She was wrong. They get to stay with me until I'm dead. <laughs> and then I, th I, so I thought about that. I just want to make sure they know how much I love them. And in a beat, I heard the Lord say, now you know how I feel. We think so many things about God's impressions of our fear, worry, and anxiety. We think he's mad at us. We think he is rejecting us. We think he hates us. We think... But why would we think that? That's not what a father does. That's not what drives out fear. Love drives out fear. So why would we think that we are some way, because of where we are, unacceptable to him? God does not abandon you in disgust. He gathers you in his arms. I wanted to try to think of an example, find an example of love defeating fear. And of course, I'm not going to find one that's God because that's all-powerful and all-wonderful, but a little tiny human example of love driving out fear. 15-year-old Azzy Robinson was the target of bullying a few years ago, and it tore him apart. He became reclusive and would sleep all the time. Everything changed when Azzy switched to a new school, Laverne High School in Tennessee. His new classmates were aware that he'd been bullied, so they wanted to do something nice for him. So two buddies walked in carrying gifts. Azzy had no idea what was going on. We got you some stuff because of like how generous you are, everything we do. And the moment he saw new Nike sneakers that his classmates had chipped in to buy, the tears started flowing. This is nothing, Azzy. All the stuff you've done for everyone in this class, you deserve way more than this. Azzy whispers his gratitude. Thank you. But there's more. Another classmate gave him new clothes, and then came a warm pat on the back. Those tears were uh, pure joy. Almost proud to be me for once, because they wanted to do something for me like that. I heard him say, for once it feels good to be Azzy. And I said, what a joy. We, we love Azzy. One more thing from the survey. This is so good. Fear is a liar, but he never is indebted to produce the purchasing price. We give the weight, the value, the credit for fear to speak to our hearts and minds when we consider the lie as if it were or if it could be the truth. 
And in that moment, we arrange to foot the bill. It is us who pays. We pay in our health. We pay in our relationships. We pay in our self-care. We pay in our appetite. We pay in our sanity. We pay in the weariness of our soul. We pay and we pay and we pay until we are broke and broken. And what we heard never was so. Fear is a lie. And who is the father of lies? Not our father, but the enemy. When 1 John sets up God as love and shows fear to be the opposite of love, it cannot be more clear. Fear is the offspring of the enemy, is the army lined up to fight the offspring of the Most High God. But speaking plainly to a person battling fear, I say, what actually is the worst that could happen? What of this is outside of God's control? So what does your fear say? I'll tell you what the Word says. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will uphold you with my strong right hand. What does your fear say? I'll tell you what the Word says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom will I fear? What's your fear say? I'll tell you what the Word says. Let not your heart be troubled. What's your fear say? I'll tell you what the Word says. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though armies array about me, I will not be afraid. I will trust in the Lord. What's your fear say? I'll tell you what the Word says. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Worship team folks, would you come? We're going to, the Lord wants to do something for you. And we're, I'm going to invite you to come. Um, the worship team's going to play a final song. And I don't want to belabor this. I want to give you a chance to meet with your father. And so the altars are open and I'm specifically inviting two groups of people to respond. The first are those of you who would say, enough is enough. I've got fear, I've got worry, I've got anxiety. I would like to leave it here and ask the Lord to take and keep it. So the first group of you who I invite to come forward, people who'd like to pray, no one's going to counsel you or interrupt you. You deal with the Lord as he's calling you this morning. And then the second group are the intercessors. If you love someone that you know is dealing with fear, worry, and anxiety, and you want to be their proxy this morning and pray for freedom in their life, then you come as well. That's your only invitation. Uh, please come forward while the worship team closes us. The Lord will meet you here this morning. Thank you again for listening here today. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at info at a beaconofhope.org. That's info at a beaconofhope.org. If you happen to be in the Harrisonburg, Virginia area, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and then at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every week, Monday nights at 6 p.m. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe in order to get updates and new episodes. 